welcome to this week's episode folks and yes in ireland golf is back baby i hope you're all getting back on the fairways for those listening in in countries such as canada hello my canadian friends and listeners of kingdom podcast um welcome to paddy talks golf so hopefully you get back on the fairways soon too the pocket as ever is brought to you thanks to see golf balls they're premium golf balls at half the price it's a no-brainer and they have some really nice products coming just before Christmas, I believe. So stay tuned to seedgolf.com for those. Also, recently, we're being massively supported by Druid's Golf. Born in Ireland, been served from Scotland. True Celts, you might say. So get on there, grab yourself or a loved one, an ambassador pack for Christmas. This week's episode, I've been really excited about this one for weeks. And we got down on the Zoom and recorded a session together. It's Ken Carney, everyone. Wrote it there, Roshi. Listen, we talking about practice. Joe Bradley told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Where's Joe Bradley? What did he get at? Donald Donovan is the last quarterback. He hits it. He hits it. It's over the bar. Oh, holy Moses. It's all on this. This man needs no introduction, so we will get stuck in. Ken Carney, how's it going? Great, Paddy. How are you? I'm sure I'm grand. Sure, I'm at nothing. Um, making it look like I'm working hard, but hard yeah. working hard or hardly working? That's me. Yeah, it's tough going, isn't it? This lockdown, <laughs> lockdown two. You can yeah, see I've got the lockdown two haircut. Just uh, <laughs> the assistant manager got at me last night. There you go. They have the other variation, which is lack of said haircut. Yeah, well, so, I've had that as well. Yeah. I didn't rush down to Hawk and Blade on Main Street Nace in time. They were booked out until 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. the last three days before lockdown. I couldn't get in. Oh, yeah, yeah, same as that. So, Ken Carney, I some people say you're from Roscommon. Some some people don't know where you're from. Um, so where are you from? Oh, I'm Roscommon, Paddy. Um, born and bred, uh, uh, Roscommon town. Kind of people might know the Hyde, Douglas Hyde. GA ground just beside there opposite the the, the, the hospital is my home so uh, one of three boys youngest of three boys um, my dad was a golfer um, he worked in in Casey's garage Ford dealership in Roscommon for 58 years not many people stay in the same job 58 years uh, he passed a number of years ago but um, yeah but he was a golfer and he introduced the three of us my older two brothers and myself to golf and they are decent golfers and their fam their boys in their houses play golf and that kind of stuff um so we were introduced to golf from a very young age caddying you know the usual stuff caddying it was in Roscommon was a nine-hole course that time so caddied for my dad and then caddied for his friends and got, got introduced that that route to golf but uh Roscommon until I, I went to college uh, to Limerick it was NIHE that time um went to the Christian Brothers in Roscommon um went to NIHE on, only did a year there and I joined Ulster Bank that time the, the key thing was to get a job and get some money and start hitting titles that's all we were interested in, I'm afraid <laughs> education was very secondary but um while in the bank then I did some um did the bank exams and went to went to work in Sligo in the building society when I was about 25 um stayed there for god i was in sligo for nearly nine years or something 
So that'll be people who connect me with Sligo. But I've been a member in County Sligo since I was about 13 or 14, a country member. And I'm still a country member there. And uh, and I love the place. And it is very close to my heart. And people connect me with, with County Sligo. We had some success there with Senior Cups and Barton Shields. And, um, and then I did a couple of years to Galway. But I'm married to Sinead from Roscommon. And uh, it was always our intention to come home. So... We came back to Roscommon when I was like 32 or something. Uh, I, I started doing the architecture program in Edinburgh at that stage. So uh, we came home um, and we're happy to be Roscommon. Sinead's family are here. My mum is here. My brother is here. Her sisters are here. So yeah, this is home for us. That's a lovely thing to be able to do. It's something I dream about. Um, hmm. We have my grandfather's house is up the road from my parents' house. It's about 10 minutes from Lehinchen. You know, that's that's a dream of mine is, you know, to take that off their hands ideally someday and make that our second home, if you will, because we've a family in Nathan, we've the other the other half of the family is in Kerry. So yeah. both those Kerry people are strong willed and strong skinned, so there there'll be no moving to Lahinch. But yeah, um, Roscommon is definitely home. It's definitely home for us. Yeah. So before we get on to architecture, because that's really where I want to dig into um, all about Mr. Kearney and Kearney golf construction design. Um the amateur days, right? Because um, you're, I suppose, an elite amateur and you're still quite competitive when you do play. <laughs> no, Whether you believe it or not, like no, you're just I'm too not. modest. You're just too <laughs> modest for your own good, right? You just don't know me well um, enough. <laughs> oh, I've seen you on the Nolle and up YouTube channel. You're well able to hit the ball. <laughs> um, so you were like winning trophies like late 90s to early 90s. And that's kind of when I picked up my first set of clubs right around that time yes not to put an age on either of us but I think I just did yeah. so so you you were kind of ramming through the halls of Lehinch Golf Club as I was running up and down the stairs when I was that nine kid in the way possibly um, Irish close west of Ireland east of Ireland representing your country boys, youths, men's travelling the world what was that like? oh it was great Paddy um, like I I loved it I probably um I think it, it it gives you experiences that outside of golf, meeting people, meeting interesting people, meeting not so interesting people, going to great cities. You know, I played international golf, <clears throat> played my first international team when I was 15. I'm trying to think. My mother has the photograph up at home in the hallway. I think Owen O'Connell was on that team. Kevin Sheehan from Cork might have been on it. Paddy Gribben was on it, definitely. You wouldn't forget Paddy Gribben when he was 15 or 16. Um, trying to think who else was on it. Paul McGinley might have been on it. Um, so, like, from the age of 15, I was playing international golf. Um, it was great. Like, n- n- even playing the national stuff at home here, the, the four provincial tournaments played. Like, And I've, I've said this, it, this is what really stoked my interest in golf course architecture. I mean, imagine playing every year at Royal Portrush for the north of Ireland, the Hinch for the south of Ireland, Baltray, County Loud for the east of Ireland, and County Sligo for the west of Ireland. And then usually the Irish Close was usually played at a good venue as well. So if that didn't stir your juices, that there was something significant going on in these golf courses, uh, you know, well, I think you're absolutely missing something. But And then I went to play, it and of course, played all the international golf at Scotland and England and Wales and further field European stuff, uh, played golf in America, Australia. It was great. So 
mean, I I loved every minute of it. I met some really nice people through it. I'm still very friendly with a lot of the guys that like, I mentioned, Paddy Gribben there, you know, Warren Point Golf Club. I mean, um, still friendly with Paddy Gribben, still friendly with, you know, people like I played boys golf with Stuart Paul or Keith Barton or, you know, you're on Twitter exchanging stuff with different people. So, um, no, it's been great and had some success along the way, had a lot of tragedy along the way. It's not tragedy at all. I'm only kidding, you know, but you lose so much more than you win. But um, it's all been good for me. I've enjoyed it. And before we get into architecture, I suppose that traveling with the world, like even for me, I wouldn't have traveled much at all. But like I would have, I suppose, been spoiled growing up playing a McKenzie course in La Hinch. Yeah. So much so that I was like, why? Like, my thing, like, why would I play anywhere else? Not from uh, looking down on things, but like, I mm. stuff. It's so good, <laughs> like where I am. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really, really need until I actually physically moved for work and career, and I experienced other places. Like, there's an awesome course um, north of Bergamo. I don't know were you ever there? Designed by um, designed by Constantina Rocca. Okay. It's Golf Club de Bergamo, and it's awesome. Um, so okay. yeah, you should check them. They only just came on social media the last couple of years. <laughs> that's, oh, yeah. that's I'd be interested gorgeous. in that because Sinead's family are Italian and I've played a bit of, a bit of golf in Italy, but haven't been to that one. Something I found, and like I went to America for work a little bit, and I find it very difficult to play golf over there. I don't know what it is. It, maybe it's because I'm jet lagged or I spent too much time in the bar the night before or, or what? Is it the air density? I, I, <laughs> I don't know. But just compared to, I don't know, it's like comfort level. Do you, do you from your traveling around the world as an, as an amateur, would you have seen or needed a different approach to golf in America versus Australia versus here versus Scotland? Um, no, I, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I, I was born on a parkland course, so I was okay with that stuff but then we had all our championships at Lynx courses so I think it gave us a very rounded skill set for playing you know golf um traveling I was certainly okay with traveling and playing uh, abroad and played pretty well abroad um so I was okay with it uh, it's not like I'm an international golf traveler or anything like that but um I think the skills that you learn in Ireland you know like you say, whether it's the Hinch, why would you want to play anywhere else other than the Hinch? I mean, I absolutely understand that. <laughs> you know, I, I have no great appetite to travel anywhere other than County Sligo to play golf. I, you know, for me, it's just heavenly stuff, no more than your experiences at the Hinch. So, but I think Lynx golf particularly gives you a whole different kind of skill set. And you can see it. You can see it, the professionals, when they play on golf courses where the ball is bouncing and they just don't really have control of it all the time. That, that makes them very edgy and angsty and, you know, um, but I, I was okay playing the Parkland stuff abroad, but, uh, you know, I really loved the Lynx stuff. So, and, and though that skill set came together, you're off plus three or plus four at that time. And at that time, I suppose, early naughty, surely professional golf was on the radar, Ken? Yeah. Um, so I won the East, or I won the West of Ireland when I was like 24, I think. And I, I had, entered for the tour school at that stage so I did have one go at it went to the uh, first stage of tour school was a three round event in Manchester um, and uh, which was a Harry Cold course which was fortunate but anyway I didn't even know that at the time but went to went there and got through actually Martin Martin Sludds is it was he an Irish pro I think yeah 
reasonally successful on tour for a while. Sludge hits, hits me as a name, yeah. I can't I think, the face yeah, um, I think he led at that, that regional qualifying in Manchester. And I finished third, got through and went to the final stages at Montpellier which was uh, six rounds and I missed the four round. There was a cut after four rounds, which I missed by a couple of shots. And it was all a bit of a chore. Um, I played in the world or under 25s in Paris and it was all just not for me, I felt. Uh, plus, I didn't have the money to keep going. My family, I don't come from a moneyed background or anything. I'm always amazed by the chaps who turn pro today and they seem to be pro like for 12 years and they don't seem to make a lot of money. And I'm saying, how how are they doing this? It's expensive stuff, that. Um, and I know Golf Ireland is great and the GUI are great, but it costs money to to live and play golf and travel and all that stuff. But um, I quickly figured it wasn't for me, t- thankfully, and just got my amateur status back immediately. Um, and I, I, won't, I will never forget playing with a guy in Manchester who some people ask me who was the best player I ever played with. I played with a guy called Joe Kirkpatrick, an American chap, kind of a small, smallish, dumpy fella, not dissimilar to myself. And uh, he was like just the best golfer I ever played with. He was an unbelievable player. And he missed, he missed through the first stage of qualifying in Manchester by a shot. And he took, I think, I think he took eight at the last hole. And he holed nothing, of course, for, two or three days and should have led the qualifying by 10 shots and like he was just so much better than I was uh, and he didn't get through just got, he got a couple of bad breaks but he had tried I think that was his fifth or sixth attempt at, at, the, at the European school he had had no success in America and this was his fifth or sixth attempt got into the car park just put the clubs in the ground and reversed his car out over them and drove away and, I, and I'm sure he probably never hit another shot after that and I'm saying I'm still you know, 26 years, 28 years later saying, well, you know, Joker Patrick was the best player I ever played with and he couldn't make it. So hmm. I've played with plenty of good players, you know, Darren or Paul or, you know, Podrick Harrington and all those guys. But Joker Patrick was just outstanding ball striker for three days in Manchester and he couldn't do it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was on the radar for a wee while and I quickly realized it wasn't for me and I certainly wasn't good enough for it. Or maybe didn't have the application or maybe my heart wasn't in it. I don't know combination of few things well something that and i don't know about well i talk about you a lot i suppose to my friends in terms of your approach to the game the way it should be played and architecture and do more with less and shorten the game and from listening to your 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 podcast with the godfrey's journal and like general outlook on things so much so that they they think they tell me oh well, you want to be ken carney when you grow up you know i'm sitting here 32 years of age so like what I mean is you absolutely love what you're doing. So maybe that was like an early, an early quick win. It took me 10 years of changing jobs to find one that I love, right? Yes. So maybe you figured, maybe you were lucky that you didn't make it and you, you know, you're in something you love now. And getting on to that, you know, you have, there's Mackenzie, Doak, Dye, Colt, Fazio, Tillinghast, Trent Jones Jr., Hackett, Ross, and now Kearney. Right. Oh, now, sweet company. Right. <laughs> so what turned your head to architecture in the first place? You touched it there a little bit already, I think. Yeah, it, it happened really, Paddy, when I you were playing the provincial tournaments in the first instance. Those courses, County Louth, Port Rush, Lehinch, um, County Sligo. Uh, but 
when I went to live in, in Ross's Point and we were living fortunately, we bought a little cottage out in Ross's Point on the right hand side of the first hole called the Greenlands. And um, Sinead and I were living there and I was literally walk out the front door onto the first fairway with the dog. And But you soon, when you're there every evening and every morning, and I was, of course, practicing so much at the time, but playing a lot. And you start to understand what a great golf course it is. And you start to ask yourself questions like, well, all the... And I always, I'm a great advocate of the whys. People need to ask questions, why, more often. Why is the first tee position there? Why is the first green there? Why did he not put the green down at the bottom of the roll? Why did he go up on top of the roll to put the green there? Why did he cut a bunker in there? Why did he not put one in the other side? And all these things. And you start to, you know, study it. And there were some books about Harry Colt. And there were some books about history of County Sligo. And uh, and then you then you start really getting into it. And so it was my originally my interest in County Sligo Golf Club. It was my interest in Harry Colt. And then, of course, it goes to Eddie Hackett and it goes to all the other great architects that you mentioned and you start to study it and learn it and try to learn it and try to understand it. So you're, for me, it's, you know, I'm, I'm not a, an Eddie Hackett or I'm not a Tom Doak or I'm certainly not any of those people. But um, but maybe that might happen as well because the the environment we're in in Ireland is is only remodel golf, really. Um we never get an opportunity like when are we going to build the next big golf course I don't know the Casey family are doing a job up in Donegal um, with Ross Penna and they engaged Tom Doak to do it you know an American architect I don't know when the next big one is coming around the corner um, I don't know we'll wait and see plenty of land there's plenty more land in West Kerry and, and, and undiscovered land in West Cork like west of West Cork like west of where the pudding is made yeah um, I know. You know so you never know. I know there is. <laughs> <laughs> um, graduated from the Edinburgh College of Art Landscape School in Golf Course Design. Yes. Two-year course, something that I'm researching into myself, but I think I have a syllabus of books to read before I even think about it. Can you walk us through what that syllabus or what that course entails in Edinburgh? Or is it like this syllabus detonates upon completion? No one knows. It's a big dark magic secret. No, it's not. And I spoke to somebody recently in another educational organization about this, um, where they're considering to include a golf course design module in another economic or another uh, educational program. But it's, um, it starts with, a, you know, it's, it's, it's a two-year program. So I think over the two years, you make like maybe 12 or 14 visits on, on two-week slots. So you go for two weeks, 10 or 12 times, whatever it is. Um, so it's, it's, it's given, it, at that time, it was overseen by the European Institute of Golf Course Architects. Um, I'm not sure that it still is. Um, but some of the architects who are involved in the Institute, practicing architects, give lectures. But the program was headed up that time by a Danish lady, Danish girl called Lena Mortensen, who was a great architect herself doesn't really practice much. I think she lives in Gullen. And, and also the the second lead on it was a guy called uh, Mike. Oh, God. I'm not forgetting a blank from Belfast. Um, I'll get him on my phone here in a second. But, um, and it was Mike who said to me when I registered first that, you know, you really, 
you might think you know a bit about golf. You, you know, you're a plus four handicapper and you have all these medals and whatnot, but you don't really understand architecture because the guys who were doing and registering for the program, a lot of them were practicing architects with Jack Nicholas or they were practicing architects with, you know, some design house in America. There was a lot of Americans on it. There were some Chinese and there was um, a mixture of some green keepers. Um, I don't think there was any, like, even pro golfers. And, oh, there was. There was a, a guy, Lassie, from Sweden or Norway. Uh, Lassie Talander, really good architect and very active and very successful. Um, so there was a mixture of people. Um, I Like, I, I shared a house in, in Edinburgh with um, a jo- John, who's an ex-Microsoft guy in America, but he was a CAD technician and a CAD specialist. Yeah. Uh, Mike Mark, Mark Muller, who works who worked for Nicholas, but was practicing on his own in South Africa. Uh, James Edwards, very successful architect in the UK now, and myself. So there was four of us in an apartment in Edinburgh, and then we hooked up with Johnny Davison, who's very successful. Create Golf practices out in Eastern Europe, principally, and a guy Stuart Hallett, a French guy. So Stuart came; he was a head greenkeeper at at our assistant maybe at Paris Saint-Germain, Harry Colt course. So there was all kinds of people from different backgrounds and um, it was great. The, the program was, you know, some history. Um, um, a lot of stra- strategy was taught. You know, the, the whys that I spoke about earlier, why will you might you design it this way? Um, a lot of uh, field trips to, to visit great golf courses, you know, whether it be the... The Heathland courses, we had a particular trip to down to London, to Surrey. Um, so there was a lot of really good stuff. Actually, one of the things I got from it more than anything was the actual drawing skills. I, I didn't know how like, he did say to you, well, draw me a par three. And like, gee, where do you start? And you don't have to be a great artist, and I'm not a great artist, but can generate some nice stuff on, um, you know, whether it be Illustrator use Photoshop, use AutoCAD, uh, hand, hand drawing. But I wouldn't, uh, honestly, Paddy, when I when I joined the program, when I was 28 or 29 years of age, I couldn't hardly turn on a computer. So for people to be teaching you how to use Illustrator and Photoshop, and we were very fortunate in our house. We had Mark Muller, and Mark was just one of the greatest artists you'll ever see. And he helped me a lot personally. So... Uh, and, and you end up, of course, it, it all leads up to the final um, project, which is you're giving a blank canvas, you know, 250 acres, and you got to design a golf course. You know, and that's that's where you get into the whys, like, where do you put the clubhouse? Where do you put the practice facility? Where's the first tee going to go? Do we start with a part four? Do we start with a part five? And then you got to explain all this, and you got you know, project your understanding of why you designed it in such a way. So um, it was great. Uh, and there was some tutors then from the European Institute of Golf Course Architects would kind of oversee you along the way during the two years. And they were supposed to invite you along to some, you know, worthwhile things that they were involved in. That wasn't always worthwhile. But there you go. They don't get everything right, do they? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's some very worthwhile modules in my engineering yeah. course as well, which... The lecture I thought was groundbreaking and we were breaking the door down to get out. Um, yeah, yeah. But the, the reason I'm, I suppose I'm so interested is if you go back and look at any of my junior search to leaving search copies, 
there was often par threes and fours and fives all around the edges. <laughs> right? I know. Yeah. So, <laughs> hey, you look at my office. <laughs> I see it. I see it. Come so on, we've got 18 holes on the wall. <laughs> Anyone who's listened to the podcast, you're, um, maybe I should start doing a video one, but um, Ken has posted a few pictures on his socials to share. Yeah, and it was quite, it got me through lockdown one as well, Ken. So thank you very much for sharing it. Yeah. Um, Ken Carney Golf Design established 2002. And you probably get this asked this question way too many times. But what is your approach to design, Mr. Carney? Oh. This is the elevator uh, pitch. So, you know, you're in the bottom of the Hilton somewhere in Dublin mm, or, or there are other good hotels mm, available. And it's with this big yank or maybe this big banker from um, North Wall Quay in Dublin. And he says, I'm looking yeah. to build a golf course. We're going to the fifth floor. What do you got? Yeah. You know, it's terribly cliched and I'm not that fond of it, but, you know, it is actually about working with the land. In, in Ireland, like with the stuff that you and I were born and bred on was our our bread and butter our stable diet was uh you know eddie hackett do, doing what he what he did better than anybody which was just working with the land because you know effectively they didn't have any money to do anything so they couldn't actually hire in two bulldozers and two dump trucks they they just had somebody tickling around the edges and building the greens and building the tees and building the bunkers. So you had to find the best golf out there and it like that's awful I hate that old bullshit cliche stuff but that's exactly what it is. That's what Tom Doak does. That's what Ben Crenshaw does. That's what, you know, Bill, Bill Coor does. All, all the good architects, they find the best pieces of ground. And when they find the best piece of ground, they then, they then find the best routing. Um, so that's, you know, if you, if you happen to have that American guy with tons of money. But for me, um, when it comes to design, I'm dealing with typically golf clubs who have pretty limited budgets in most cases. And you're just trying to give them the very best golf for the least amount of money and the very best golf that's maintainable and that it functions well from a maintenance and a greenkeeping perspective because it's easy to, and I've often, I say this to committee, it's easy to, to create the really sexy stuff, you know, the really intricate, really cool bunkering. And sure, wouldn't I love to be doing it, you know, um, and sticking it up all over social media. That's what people do these days. It's, they buy and sell with their eyes. That's it's Instagram, isn't it? That's what it's all about, really, or Twitter. Um, yeah, my but, thing about that is Instagram is not real. You know, people think yeah. I take off 365 days a year. I just wear, you know, a couple of different layers, take one off, <laughs> take a few more pictures yeah. and a different photo shirt on. But yeah, you know, yeah, but people buy and sell with your eyes, you're right, you're right. But, you know, the architecture at the end of the day has got to be, you know, you've got to give them some proper strategies and all that stuff. But, it has to be maintainable and it's got to it's got to function from a greenkeeping perspective and it's like not many golf clubs have three hundred grand budgets to manage a golf course. But but you get a good greenkeeper and he can do it on fifty or sixty thousand. But just don't give him, you know, ten hours of handwork every week because he's going to be really pissed with you and and again, you know, the, the the budgets in the golf club are just going to go one way, they're going to go north and very quickly the stuff that you've done is going to have to be remodeled because it actually doesn't function. It looks really cool. But it doesn't function well. Absolutely, and I suppose that's something a lot of clubs, I suppose, are looking at this year. Um, you know, in, in refining budgets, and like I had a chat on this podcast um, nearly a year ago now with Sam Leach down in Castle yeah. Gregory, who does who does a lot with nothing, pretty much. He does you know better than um, most? <laughs> and you know, some people 
after they talked about Castle Gregory, I love it. It's like, I like he it. said, it's like it's like walking on to golf as it was in the fifties, you know. Yeah. Um, and That's it's nine right. holes, and you can spin around it in an hour and twenty minutes, and you know it takes longer to get there maybe than it does to play the golf. As <laughs> people's issue, maybe. Yeah, but it's worth the trip. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, so maybe in in like high level, which is tough. Um, how can clubs and courses do more with less? Um, well, in the first instance, Paddy, and I always say this, it's about the master planning. So if you've got, if you take like a typical 10-year span at a, at a golf club, well, the first committee in year one might not like trees, so they'll start taking them out. And then the committee will change in year three and they'll start planting trees and then it'll get to year five or six and they want to put in some more bunkers and then it gets to year eight and they can't maintain the bunkers and they're closed in and you've got this vicious cycle of it's not unusual and they're all very well intentioned and all good people doing this this work for the golf clubs um so the best thing they can do is just have a master plan that, that they can work with which has the goal of improving the golf course providing better facilities Giving the golf, in giving the golf course, the golfers a more strategic engagement, getting them interested, getting them even educated on what they're looking at and what the strategies are. Um, that bunkers are, you know, better to maintain, easier to maintain, but that they serve the purpose of building the strategy of the holes. It mightn't be about USGA greens. It mightn't be about fancy spec tees. You know, God, I'm, I go into so many clubs and they talk about we need to fix our tees. Why would you need to fix the tees? You can put it up on a tee peg. If it's reasonably level and nicely presented and mowed out, that'll probably work. No need to spend 15 grand on the tees here. So it's about building, I think, uh, a program of work. Uh, spoke to a golf club last week and they're talking about a 10 to 15 year program. And that's that's great because, you know, you, know, you, you can sometimes build a master plan for a club but they don't have 50,000 a year to put at it. But if they can put 10 or 15,000 a year at it and after 10 years, they've spent a ton of money and they'll probably have a much better golf course. So, you know, the best money is probably spent early on and just getting a decent plan put together. Definitely. Something um, I think was on our reaction episode to Lockdown 2.0, you said, well, you can do, you get the same, you get, I would say, bad design costs the same as good design. And that's a quote that I, I think I should put up there somewhere in my wall, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where I robbed that from, but <laughs> it isn't, isn't it so true? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, something I find fascinating when you do post it, and I think you should do it weekly. It should be like Ken Carney's weekly sandbox. Ah, uh, the sandbox. Uh, and it is, it is with your sandbox. Can you explain what a sandbox is? Because anyone who's in tech will think it's something, well, it's right, I suppose. You develop something in it, right? Yeah. So can you explain your use of the sandbox for us? We need to do a video on this. <laughs> that can got, be arranged. Yeah, <laughs> we need to do a new it. camera, hopefully. So, <laughs> cool, okay. The sandbox started, uh, if, God, 10 or 12, I, I don't know how many years ago, 10 or 12 years ago. I, I would go to clubs and we would start talking about building maybe a little chipping green. And and I would generate, you know, um, some kind of nice drawing and maybe some grading on it. 
some topographical detail. You know, the green is at one meter and the bunker is at half a meter. And so there's a half a meter fall between those two. And, you know, you can draw up this stuff and it can look fine. But, but then you're talking to 10 or 12 on a committee and they say, if, if they're honest, and which I really ask them to be, well, we don't really understand the topo stuff. We don't really understand what you're saying or what you're trying to achieve here. So I built the, got a friend of mine, Liam Casey. Um, I linked Liam on some of the stuff on, on Twitter. The, the digger, he owns, he and Danny own a company called Leiden Designs. But he built me the sandbox, which we have scaled as well. There's a scale on the side of it, you know, an X and a Y axis. So it's to scale. And I can actually build the green to scale and show all the topographical details. And it's literally like just playing in the sand. So you can create all the contours and you can show the rises and you can show the hollows. You can show the bumps, you can show tiers, you can show the bunkers, the depths. And people get a really, really quick to get an understanding of the concept of what you're trying to achieve. And it's been really, really cool. Um, people like it because they can start to understand what you're trying to do. Um, now, Look, that's moved on. We also do 3D imagery and fly-throughs and all that kind of stuff. But if you're sitting, you know, and of course it costs money, but if you're sitting in a, with a committee and you've got the box and you say, well, this is actually what we're thinking of doing, they, they get it immediately and they love it. Um, so that's how the, son, the sandbox started. We're, I'm thinking of doing a bigger one, but the problem is transporting it because it's pretty heavy. So you'd need a caddy to ring it round to get it from the Jeep into the club. I'll, I'll take that job. I'll take that job. No problem. Uh, yeah, the sandbox is great. And I recommend people get your local woody guy, carpenter guy to make you a sandbox and buy some kinetic sand. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And, you know, even when I'm starting a project or if I'm thinking of doing some work, I'll, I'll just pull it out and I'll say, this is what I'm kind of conceptually trying to put together here. And we put a green here and we put a bunker there. And, oh, no, the bunker would be better over here a little bit and get a higher roll there. You start to get it together very quickly in the sandbox. Um, yeah, so whenever I post videos of it or images on Twitter, I get a reaction for it, all right. That's good. It's a great visual. Yeah. Um, I can think of a number of courses and members within them who would only love a short game or a pitching or a practice area. Um, so maybe in courses where they have the space, you know, two acres up to five acres, that bit of ground, maybe on grass or whatever on the way into the clubhouse or adjoining the clubhouse that's just, you could fit a part three there, but no one wants to put a practice hole in, that type of stuff. There's loads of that. Uh, I see loads yeah. of that. What yeah. would you do with that space? Um I referred somebody recently to a job I did at Canturk Golf Club in County Cork. Great club, really good people there. Peter, uh, Jimmy, and Pat. Um, no need to go the surname stuff. Um, and a brilliant greenkeeper, Finbar O'Mahony. Um, so we did a little putting, they had a small putting green there, and it, but it was far too severely contoured. So, you know, you get those really severe slopes and all of a sudden half the green is only usable. So it was a really small space in front of the clubhouse. So we got a like 400 square meter putting green, really lovely new green, and also got in a little chipping green and a bunker and different chip shots all around. I'm, I'm telling you, it's only in 70 meters by 50 meters is the size, three and a half thousand square meter space. So you can do a ton of stuff. Um, did a lovely little par three 
our little tree hole in Charlesland, which is unfortunately closed, I see now. The Evans family have pulled the pin on it. Um, club that has struggled for some time, but we did a really, really cool little par three hole, par three. First hole was 50 meters, second hole, 80 meters, third hole, 70 meters. But you could play it in reverse as well. So you don't need much space. Like, and that place was jammed all the time. Uh, because when we built it, I remember having the discussion with the owner, Clive Evans, and and the greenkeeper. Um, and we were saying, well, should we put in artificial tees? And we're saying, ah, no, there won't be that many playing here. Like, like after a month, it was just shredded. We should have put in artificial tees because people loved playing it. Like if you arrive at the club and you've only got half an hour and you've got maybe one of your buddies with you or a nephew or a niece or whatever it might be, it's great to get like 40, 50 minutes, or if you're on your own and just want to do some work on your short game, like it's a great place. And I always think it's a great place to learn the game on a little small area. You know, you can you can teach all the rules of golf on it. You can teach all the skills, chipping, you know, putting, the grip, posture, alignment, all that stuff that the pros teach. Um, and it doesn't have that thing. I, I think one of the biggest shortcomings in golf is the first tee. No, no golf club should put any golfer through the first tee scenario. You know, it's it's brutal, isn't it, for a beginner to stand up there? I've had my no own friends like, come out with me and say, "Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm not hitting off that tee." <laughs> and if it's like if it's your first time ever, so like I try and bring people to a pigeon put or to the range if it's like after work and this time of year it's dark. But generally, I try and bring people for like a pigeon put. Yeah. We play it, you know play a man of five or I'm only playing six holes here you know yeah. Mr. Man's or your woman's first goal um, yeah. but like saying that when, I, when we were taught golf in La Hinge it was like we didn't see the big course until we were good enough you know so it was the mm-hmm. castle course because we were I was only learning the game as a nine or ten year old but we spent a lot of our time around the 17th green on like okay. little playing lessons 17th green up 17 and down 18 for yeah. an hour and then go away and play your nine-hole little competition on a Friday. Yeah. So that, that that was our introduction to the game was started at the green, yeah. putting and chipping and, you know, etiquette. You know, if this is his line, you kind of walk around it and all that kind That's of right. stuff was learned, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff that, uh, <laughs> that my father and I brought him into the game when he was 62 years of age. Great. So I don't, I don't really mind if he steps on my line because, you know... <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I started at the tee I didn't start him at the green um, yeah. Yeah. that's the way I try and do things now yeah but little sh- little small spaces you can do so much with them and it can be just one hole or two holes um, and it can just be some chipping and putting areas uh, like and there are so many great uh you know, opportunities that clubs don't take and they don't have to spend a ton. I think they're, I think they have this idea that, well, if we build a short game area, that's going to be a hundred thousand. Like, well, sure. No, mm. it's not going to be a hundred thousand. It is if you want some crappy bells and whistles and you want neon signs on it and you want all that fluffy stuff. You don't, but you don't need any, like just keep it. Less yeah, is more. You're, yeah. You're not installing top golf here, you know? No, <laughs> no, no. You're just trying to Can give we, a, you know, an, an access to the game. Exactly. And that will roll nicely into the next bit in terms of from listening to a couple of interviews with you or, or bits you've written and um, shorten the game or, or that piece you did for the Golf Journal. Um, you're a believer that there is a place for urban golf spaces. So I might lead on from that little conversation we just had. But I'm going to lead it with 18 months ago or maybe a year ago um, for the 
Now I understand golf can't be played in water, but around the Dublin Docklands, there was a multi-million oh, tender yes. approved or planning permission was, yeah, for something we all love in Ireland and we love and we do it all the time, which is white water rapids, kayaking yeah. and ding. And, you know, yeah. I can't, I, I, I always do it. I don't know about you. But like this recreation... Spot on the time sheet for it all. <laughs> this recreation slash corporate team building centre. Right. And my reaction yeah. was, well, why don't they take that 50 million and spend 1 million in 10 different places all around the country? for an indoor slash outdoor golf thing, right? So if you had that space, or and it could be like there's loads of open spaces in urban areas, middle of Sandyford, Lucan Swords, there's massive parks and facilities in Blanchardstown, there's open shopping centre for basketball and tennis and all these things. Or it could be the corner of the massive park here in Nace or Ennis Town Centre. There's like every town, 30 to 50,000 people has a decent park in this country, which is great. What, yes. what, what would you see as the the ideal thing to do golf-wise in those public spaces? Yeah, it's a big question, Paddy, and um, it's it's one that occupies a lot of my stupid brain. You know, why, why do you see all this really stupid stuff spent by governments and local governments or, like, big money on bullshit stuff? Like, you know, to build, like, a... You know, Himalayas putting green, for example. I'm not. I'm just saying Himalayas as in, you know, an 18-hole putting course. It can be whatever you want to be. Where people can walk around for 20 minutes or half an hour, sit down, socialize with their friends, you know, have the coffee tables there and, and in, 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 the, in the open air. What, I mean, what could be better? Um... Uh, you know, this, it's not a big ask. And then if you have three three acres or five acres, I've actually recently done a, a little design for a seven-acre site for a council. And they have this green space, which isn't being used. Uh, and I'm, I can't say a lot about it just now, but we've, des- we've designed an 18-hole um, short pitch and put course. And, and the putting green on it uh, and a wee car park all on less than seven acres. Like but like seven acres is a big enough chunk of ground in an urban centre. But like so many parks have areas that are just not being used and are off in the corners or out to the sides of these spaces that are just crying out to be developed. Uh, artificial grass. It doesn't even have to be grass. We can do it with artificial grass. You know, uh, you know and... It just, I, I, I think it's, you know, it's open space, uh, it's green space, it's an environmentally friendly to do it. Uh, you're enhancing the landscape, you're providing, you know, an outlet for people socially. And that's usually, you know, it's probably going to be kids and older people will use it. And then I've heard this argument, even in my own town, Asher, it'll be trashed in a month. Well, no, it won't be trashed in a month because the townspeople own it. And if somebody trashes it, well, we'll sure as hell find out who trashed it. And, you know, if, if you were to go around all your life saying, oh, Jesus, we can't do it because this is what's going to happen. Well, sure, nothing will get done. Um, no one would leave their house. Yeah. Um, you know, I can't go down the road there. I might get hit by a bus. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, it's very shallow <laughs> stuff. That's that's stuff. Yeah. Um, what was the hardest shot or maybe a course design that, or tender you've had to complete under pressure? Hardest shot? 
Yeah, uh, golf shot. It could it could be that first tee shot you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I was always really nervy at the first tee. I I I actually hate that first tee in Lynch. And I've played it a couple of <laughs> The amount of people, and when I say people, it's I mean terrifying. Americans, throw a ball from the men's back right white tee, like hit a ball and goes in the ladies' locker room door. That is hilarious when that happens. Yeah. Happens a few times a summer, you know, yeah. or into the window if they're open. Oh, I believe it. <laughs> it's terrifying tee shot. Uh, it's particularly terrifying when you have maybe a few hundreds standing around and you're playing in a semi-final or a final of a South of Ireland and you're saying, oh man, don't screw it up. Just get it out there somewhere. It's terrifying, isn't it? Um, uh, I, I, from a tender point of view, back about you know, it I, <laughs> yeah, no, um, I, I will be a first tee nervy guy. Uh, and I think first tees need to be made really friendly. So you can pass that on to people in the hinge. <laughs> They're friendly um, if you're if you're a local. I w- I'm from Kilfenora, so I wouldn't really be classed as a local. So <laughs> Yeah. Um you know, I don't get worked up with the tenders and stuff. Usually if I'm asked to do work, I'm usually, you know, lined up to do it. Um do some tender stuff occasionally, but uh, you know, I I trade in a little earlier than the, than the tender. And if clubs want me, they'll they'll want me. And if they don't, you know, if it comes down to money or something, they're really missing the point, aren't they? It's about the quality, really, and it's about delivering value for money rather than you know. Tenders tend to be a race to the bottom. Um, so if you're, I if you're always found that in, in commercial stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. Online yeah. options and stuff, you know, yeah. nah, just don't bother. Yeah. Uh, other than that, yeah, you know, I was really lucky. I, w- I will remember winning the close at Westport Golf Club. Um, that was one of the highlights for me, uh, you know, to win it in my own province. Tom Greeley from my own hometown was president of the GOA that year. You know, my family were there. And you know, you know when you want something really badly and you're saying, and I had a chance uh and the tee shot at 14, you know, the brilliant par three. Uh, just saying, I, I, I knew if I got on the green, I was probably going to win the close. So I, like, not many shots stand out in my mind, but I can remember that. And my good friend Joe Keyes is on the bag as well. So, uh, yeah, kind of nervy tee shot, but yeah, every day is nervy in my business. <laughs> <laughs> uh, quick fire Q&A, Ken Kearney, what would your walk on song be? Oh, God, I'm not much of a music guy. Like I'm pretty old school, kind of Joe Cocker, probably something by Joe Cocker, maybe. Like, you I'll know, I like the Wallflowers and I like Bob Dylan and I like the Waterboys and I like Cry Before Dawn and I was devastated when the Aslan concert was cancelled in July. So uh, something by Aslan, probably, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, we'll pick um, it out. We'll Irish and, well, yeah, yeah. Jim or pizza? Oh, pizza. Corn, obviously. <laughs> hat, hat visor or a Keelan Rafferty bucket hat? Hat. Happy Gilmore. I, I thought I like the bucket. The bucket ah, is good, I've, isn't it? I've, I've a lot of time for a bucket. I've I like the bucket, yeah. yeah. Happy Gilmore or Tin Cup? Happy Gilmore. Le Hinch or Port Marnock? Le Hinch. Walker Cart walk win the masters or win the open always win the masters yeah god that's awful isn't it yeah win the masters it, I think so it is not it is not Instagram or Twitter 
Twitter. Play or practice? Practice. Now, this is the question that you wouldn't have prepared. Are you ready for this one now? Oh, no. So you're after day driving back. You're after day driving back from Kilkee or our glass or somewhere nice like that, or maybe like some golf in Rosses or something, and you're planning dinner for tonight, and you can have anyone, any six people at the table with you, any six people, alive, dead, celebrity, golfer, related, not related, friend, whoever, who makes the cut? Whoa. I wasn't ready for that. And six people. Six only. Six only. I'm on the pad here. Number one, my dad. Number one, my wife. Number two, my dad. Good save, Ken. Jesus, I'm in trouble already. Arnold <laughs> um, Cahan didn't say his wife until the fourth person, so you're well, in better company. <laughs> I don't feel so bad now. Yeah. Uh, Wow. Sevy. Number three. I'm not so great at this. Uh, I'm going to say Harry Colt. Love to have a conversation with Harry Colt about a lot of stuff. Uh, number five, Eddie Hackett. One more. So I'm... I'm one of so there's seven of us sit in. Yeah, I need you can, to pick you can six. six I need to pick yeah. one more. Yeah, you're at the head of the table, and then you've three down either side. I always said I'd love to play golf with Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I Jack Nicholson, buzz. not Jack Nicholas. No, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. The good, the good Jack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd like to play golf with Jack Nicholson. That'd be an interesting group of people. That would be an interesting group of people. Ken Carney, thank you so much for your time. As always, it's been insightful. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person outside of lockdown sometime. Maybe yeah, grab, a, grab a quiver Sunday bag and play at three holes or something. Oh, sounds good. Thanks, Paddy. Keep up the good work. Thanks a lot. That was Kim Carney, everyone. So you golf course managers, committees, county councils, anybody who's on a county council here in Ireland and is looking to know what to do with that corner of the park, just go on to Ken, okay? Let's create something really useful and of value to our communities. And like a put in green serves everyone. I always love talking to Ken. I've been lucky enough through this podcast to all of you folks pressing play to be in a position to have a chat with someone like Ken and people in the industry. So if you have liked this conversation, and I know I have, please do leave a review wherever you've heard this podcast or head over to Facebook, uh, Paddy Talks Golf, and leave a review there. There's loads of good things to do and see and like and comment and share and all those beautiful things. Don't forget to join the timesheet over at www.paddygolf.com. I will be sending out a little newsletter in a week or so. And anybody who replies... I'm going to pick someone from there to give a giveaway to basic components of products and services from people who support uh, the podcast, basically. So you can guess who that is. Um, really good chat next week. I think the interviews or the people within them uh, are getting better and better. I'm biased, but I am excited to bring them to you each and every week. Um, so stay tuned to see who that is now next week. And um, yeah, until we tee it up, I'm Paddy. Paddy.